Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. We'll go ahead and turn to 1 John, if you would. Like Shelley said, it's towards the end of your Bible. It's a short book, so don't flip too fast. You might miss it. We're going to be here for a little while. Um, and actually, I noticed all the Scripture journals are um, taken up. Looks like whoever um, you are decided to take them uh, from the... I see a few of them. Yeah, good. Uh, from the welcome table. We'll make sure to get more of those ordered. Those will be sitting out there. Um, I encourage you, really, think about, uh, if you take notes especially, getting one of those Scripture journals where you have the Scripture on the left side and notes, uh, just open lines on your right side. And uh, Because starting next week, we're going to be going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, verse by verse. And we're going to take our time. Uh, I've told people this week that the rest of the Bible's not going anywhere, so um, no rush getting to it. So we're going to be in 1st John 1-1 next week. Uh, we're just going to walk through the three epistles from John. Um, today, I'm going to give, like was said already, a bird's eye view of the book, kind of an introduction. And when you're doing introductions, what's natural to look at? Well, it's kind of like looking at the envelope that you get in the mail, right? You want to know who it's from, make sure who it's to is the right person. Uh, so who it's from, who's it to, and then also we, we want to know a little bit about generally what's it about. Who it's from, who's, who's, who's it to, and then uh, generally, what's it about? Uh, I, I think about, and it even happened yesterday, Sarah and I were driving, and uh, she'll get on her phone, she'll start texting, and, and I'm driving, and just no talking at all, and, and I like to talk, and as you know, and, um, and so I'll eventually lean over there, and who are you texting? You know, just, can we get a conversation going, and who are you texting? And uh, she'll just say very briefly, my mom. And just be silent. What's my next question? What you guys texting about? <laughs> like, and so it's just natural. You want to know who's it to, who's it from, and generally, what are you guys talking about? What, what's it about? And so um, we're going to be looking at that today before we jump into verse by verse next week. So who's it from? Um, well, actually, if you look, it doesn't say who it's from doesn't say who it's from, but um, knowing based off of church history's understanding of the book and, and standing belief has been it's from the Apostle John. Uh, he's the beloved disciple, right? All of them were loved, but uh, there was something special about John where conveniently it came from John himself, from John's gospel, where he said that was the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> and uh, we know that to be true, Jesus had a special affection for his disciple John because we know towards the very end when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks to none other than, than John. And he says, and he really basically tells him, my mom is now your mom. And he looks to his mom, Mary, and he says, this is your son. And so in a lot of ways, he entrusts the care of his own mother to John because he knew he would be leaving. And so... John was deeply loved and uh, had a close relationship with Jesus. He wrote much of the New Testament. We know, obviously, the Gospel of John, and then the three epistles, which we're going to be looking at, and then the Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible he wrote as well. So, 
of all these, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. So that's who it's from. Now, who's, who's it to? Well, First John in particular, the three books, they are two different, uh, generally different people. But the first, uh, the first epistle is, we know, to house churches in a certain area, probably, and maybe this doesn't matter to you too much, near Ephesus, which is a city. And uh, he was writing to house churches, generally around Ephesus. And uh, based on what the book is saying, we know that they were seeing some evil penetrating and, and coming in and then intoxicating the church. And so John was wanting to write to these house churches saying, beware of these evil teachings. And so it was a really a responsive letter. We see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, if you turn there, He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So we know what he's writing about has a lot to do responsively to what's being said that's wrong. And uh, as we'll get into later in the book, we'll notice that it has a lot to do with what's the, the wrong beliefs and the wrong teachings about specifically the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. And so it's really important that John writes this. And so, um, and I think we can even take away from that, can't we? That as we're confronted with wrong teachings, and uh, how many of you know there's some wrong teachings out there today that churches are adopting and um, falling prey to, believing? That's what was happening. Different teachings still just as dangerous, and, and John says, I need to address this. And so he writes to some house churches, and so um, I think that teaches us, as we're confronted with the false teachings of our day, we must know that the Word of God is what we must turn to to correct these things and uh, hear from God Himself what, uh, what actually should be taught and believed. So that's who it's from, who's it to. Now the bulk of our time together will be, what's it about? What's 1 John about? And this is a really hard question to answer. And so let me give a few of the major themes. You already heard one of them today. A few of the major themes, and then there's one that I really want to hone in on. So if you're taking notes, these, I think, are four of the major themes in 1 John. Firstly, this concept of abiding. Abiding with Jesus and Jesus abiding with us. There's this remaining with Him because the word abide is mentioned 23 times in five chapters. John wants us to know something about what it means to abide. To abide in Christ. It's a major theme. Secondly, holiness. Holiness. 14 times in five chapters, John uses the word commandments. Eight times, he talks about making a practice of either sin or holiness. And so, well, in over 20 times in five chapters, he talks about the way you live and the things that you make a practice of in your life. These are, these are really important. And they're in the front end of, of John's mind as he's writing this letter. Thirdly, love. Love is huge. 43 times. Five chapters, John uses the word love. It's a lot that we can learn in God's word about love. And in fact, we'll get to it later um, as we go verse by verse that 
the very defining act of love, the very thing that shows us most clearly and perfectly what love is, is the act of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for sinners. First John says that. That's how we know what love is, that Christ died for us. And so love is all over. And then also, as was already mentioned, family. The concept of, of family. This is incredible. 53 times. 53 times in five chapters, averaging over 10 times a chapter, John is using some kind of familial language, whether it be father, son, children, brother, sister, seed, offspring. He's talking about family 53 times. 53 times in the letter. So all of these are key themes, but actually I don't think any of them are the key theme. To the book. I think the primary theme is the concept of knowing. Knowing. Forty times, forty times in the five chapters, he uses this word to know. Actually, it's made up of two different words. And between the two words, meaning roughly the same thing, he says 40 times he talks about knowing. And I think this is key to the other themes. Holiness, abiding, love, family. I think it's the key to all of those. If you think about it, you can't really live a holy life unless you know what that looks like. Unless you know what holiness is. Unless you know what sin is. Knowing is the key to living out what God expects us to do. You can't truly love God. Though love is everywhere in the book, you can't truly love God unless you know what love is or or know who God is. You can't love somebody unless you know them to some extent. So you have to know God. You know what it loves to love God before you can actually love. You see, and I think this is not always thought about and it leads to dangerous doctrines in the church, is that the Bible informs our mind, right? And our minds then should guide our hearts and our hearts inspire our hands. Okay? The Bible informs our minds of things that we need to know, important things to know. The Bible informs our minds. Our minds should guide our hearts of what we're passionate about and then our passionate hearts should inspire our hands to go and do it. But if you skip that Bible informing your mind and your mind guiding your heart, if you skip that and you just go straight to a passionate heart, well, then you're going to be passionate about things that probably God doesn't want you to be passionate about, which will lead you to have inspired hands to do things that God probably doesn't want you doing. It has to start with knowing what the Word of God says. I, I appreciate what Dr. Vadi Bakum says on this, and he says the modern church, the modern church sorry, the modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't, ver- they don't know very well. It's a problem. So we need to let the Bible inform our minds of what we ought to know. And that's why I think know is the, word, the concept knowing is a key concept in the book of 1 John. So, what does John want us to know? That's what we're going to spend the rest of our time doing. And there's really three things that I think John, if I were to take all the 40 occasions in the book and 
try to divvy them up into different categories. I'm not catching all the times that he says the word no, but a lot of them, what are the three major things he wants us to know? Firstly, John is emphatic that we can know God himself. It's not so informational as much as it is relational. He wants us to know that we can know God. Do you know that you can know God today? You can know your Creator relationally. It's an amazing thing. This is actually why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. To make a way for you to relationally know God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 says, and we know, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in the Son, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus came so that you might know Him. We know that He came for that reason. And so in fact, it's possible for you and for me to know God. To know God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. You can know God. And then he continues on in the same chapter, verses 13 and 14. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. And it continues on. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Jesus came that we might know God and now because of His accomplished work applied into our lives, we can't actually know God. Something, uh, something, I think we all do this, where if we know somebody that has any remote um, popularity in the world or some kind of maybe social media influence, um, somebody that might be recognized as famous, even if it's community, small community, famous, uh, we like to kind of mention, oh yeah, I know him, I know him, we used to hang out, used to babysit their kid, right? And... uh, Sarah and I used to babysit the, uh, someone high up in the Assemblies of God uh, in Springfield, and um, when someone would talk about them, they're like an, a national executor, and he's like, oh yeah, hang out at their house, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I mean, oh, did I, you didn't need to know that? Okay. <laughs> I, or, uh, or we have a kid in our youth group from, from ET that um, now he's, he's leading worship at a, at a big church in, in Springfield, and, and I saw Sarah comment, uh, oh, we know Pastor Eli. We love him. He was in our youth group. <laughs> like, I see what you did. I see what you did. <laughs> but we all do it, don't we? We all, we all do it. What's amazing is that we can actually do that with not just a community figure, but the creator, sustainer, and ruler of the universe. Yeah, I know. Actually, I heard a story of a pastor one time who... Um, he was sitting on an airplane, and I don't know if you're this way, but I'm certainly this way. He wanted to put in his headphones and have no one talk to him for the duration of the flight. And uh, so he sat there. Well, where he went wrong was he set his Bible down on his lap, 
And then he put his headphones in, and someone saw that and intrigued, um, wanted to talk to him, tapped on his shoulder, took his head- headphones out, hoping just to answer a one-word answer, put his headphones back in, and that's it. But the question didn't deserve just one-word answer. The man said, have you read that thing? What all this says about Jesus? Open-ended. Fast like, oh man, here we go. I'm going to have to answer that. And I, I love, he, he said that he, the way that he answered it, I think is really witty. He goes, oh, the Jesus and, yeah, I know him actually. And the guy just dumbfounded, right? Like, what are you talking about? Because I, I actually know him. Yeah, we're, we're really close, actually. And so, yeah, I do know uh, what it says about him. And of course, I just struck up a conversation. How in the world could you know about Jesus of Nazareth? Who lived some 2,000? What do you even mean? Well, I can know. I can know him. And I can know that I know him. It's the first thing that John wants us to talk about in this book. And again, I want to emphasize, it's not that you know intellectual things about God. It's not that you know facts about God. It's not that you know Bible drill questions about God. It's not that you know fun facts about him or that you know what he expects of your life. It's not any of those things. It's that you know him relationally. It's that you have a, a working, functioning, deep, residing, knowing relationship with God. God didn't reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ so that you can know more about God. What he looked like and all those things. No, know that you would know God personally. That's the first thing John emphasizes. I think the second thing that he wants to talk about when it comes to knowing is not only that we can know God himself, but actually we know what life should look like when someone has a relationship with God. Not only can you know God, but John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, teaches that we can know what your life should look like if you actually do know God. What your life should look like if you have relationship with God. He says, very bluntly, in chapter 3, verse 15, that walking with God is incompatible with a life of gross sin. I don't mean gross as a nasty yuck, but, but horrific sin. It says, 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, we need to clarify, that is not saying that a murderer could not one day find redemption in Jesus Christ, because there's no sin greater than the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So that's not what it's saying. If you murder, then you're off the list. Qualifying. No. It's saying that the act of murder is simply far from the heart of somebody who would be walking with God. We just know that. It's far from the heart of someone who would be walking with God. Because we know what life should look like when someone has a relationship with God. He says in, in chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, just generally that walking with God is incompatible with the intentional choice of living in sin. Daily just saying, that's what I want to do. It's incompatible. He says, 1 John 5, 18 and 19, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. We know that. We know that. 
But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you see the the comparing and contrasting between those who are in God and those who are of the world? And the difference John is teasing out between the two. You can know the difference. You, You can tell the difference. In 18, he says that we know when you're walking with God because you don't intentionally continue to choose a life of sin. And we can know when you're not walking with God because you're under the power of the evil one. We can know what it looks like. And so you can see someone who's working to just think about this and how we how we apply this, okay? You can you can see someone working to kill sin in their life. And you would have good reason to say, God's in their life. God's in their life. And and and, and I mean even the person that's in a cycle of sin, habitual sin. And they just can't get out, but they want to so bad, and they hate their sin. They're disgusted by their sin. I think you can still say, God's working in their life. God is working in their life. You can see it. Conversely, though, you can see someone willfully living opposite of God, knowing what God expects, willfully choosing otherwise, and say, I have good reason to doubt their salvation. That's, that's what First John is saying. You have no good reason to think they are saved. In fact, is what John says. Their lifestyle is a clear outpouring of the heart which is far from God and does not love His Word. It's their life's testimony. So, I've got a question for you guys to ponder and think about. Okay? Thinking about that. If we can know what life should look like when someone is walking with God or has a relationship with God, if we know what their life should be looking like, how does that impact our lives? How does that impact our lives? How does that impact the way that we live? Well, firstly, I think we need to examine our own lives, right? If we can know what it looks like to walk with God, practically speaking, we need to examine ourselves first, right? But when... But when it comes to looking at other people too then and their lives, I think firstly we need to say it's never a license to rule somebody off. Can we just get that out right now? Seeing somebody live contrary to God and His Word is never a license to rule them off, right? This whole concept of the scarlet letter in the 1600s, right? That's never okay. You never know how God's working in their lives, and when He's going to capture their heart. So it's never okay to rule somebody off. Instead, I think what what it means then for us practically to know what, what it looks like to walk with God and what our lives should look like, I think firstly, that means that we need to witness to those who are clearly far from God. If you examine in their life, they clearly have no fruit. They have no fruit no evidence of a sanctified life, we see that, then we need a witness to them, right? We have good reason to think they still need Jesus. It's not helpful to pretend that they are right with God because we want them to be right with God. It's not helpful. 
It's not helping them. It's not helping you. So we need to witness to those who are clearly not living a life for God. And we need to give loving accountability to Christians who are slipping into habits of sin, right? If we know what it looks like for a person to be walking with God, and we see a beloved Christian in our church family slipping into sin, we need to give them loving accountability, right? And say, brother, sister, I see this pattern in your life, and, and I, I know I struggle too. I have my own sins, and we're all trying to work, but I just see this pattern in your life, and you, and you know what the Word of God says, and if you don't, I want to share it with you, and I just want to hear what you have to say about that, right? Because we know what it's supposed to look like to be walking with God. And so we have that accountability for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and then I think eventually, and this is the hard one, eventually, we have to lovingly even remove from membership Anybody for repeated rejection of counsel to them? You think about that. You may think, well, that's ruling somebody, somebody off. That's ruling somebody off. And we don't do that. We're not scarlet letter. I'd say, no, 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 no. That's, that's not ruling somebody off because even if somebody's membership may, may be taken off one day, we would never stop to pray for them and pursue them as a church because we love them. It's not ruling somebody off. It's simply recognizing their unlikely relationship with God based on the fruit. And their no desire to pursue holiness how God would call them to do. We just recognize. We see, we see no fruit. It's a way to call them back, I think, too, to see their consequences of sin. In a sense, for lack of better terms, I think it can be called a wake-up call to, to recognize their path that they're on. Isn't this the story of the prodigal son? You know the prodigal son story? Think about that. The prodigal son story is of, Jesus tells it, of a young man that goes away from God, or away from his father, and his father lets him go. He lets him choose that path. Why? Why would he let him do that? Why would he let him leave the fold? Well, he gave him over to the world so that he would see the consequences of his actions. Eating the slop with the pigs, he would see the consequences of actions. It'd be a wake-up call so that he would come back to a father who never had his arms folded but always out, ready to receive him again. Say, I'm so glad you saw the consequences of your sins. Come back in. I love you. And I think this is the beautiful image for church membership. This is the goal. Even if it goes down that round. Handing somebody over to the consequences of sin, to the life of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says you hand them over to the hands of Satan so that at the end of time their soul might be one. This is what it looks like practically in our lives, in the church life, all because we know what it should look like when someone has a relationship with God. First John tells us that all over. You know what it looks like or what it should look like when you're walking with God. So, that's the first two. First John says, you can know God. Secondly, you can know what life should look like when someone has a relationship with God. Thirdly, 
you can know if you personally have a relationship with God. You can know, and I want to tell you this today, you can know, you can know that you know if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the natural progression or conclusion from the first two points. Think about it with me. If you can know God, and you can know what it looks like to know God, then naturally the conclusion is, well, you can examine your own life and see if you know God. And 1 John talks a lot about that. John says it's very possible to have an assurance like that. He says you can know that you already have experienced salvation, that you presently are saved, and that you will one day be glorified into heaven. He says you can know all of that. Man, do you want to know that? Do you want to know that you know that? I do. Listen to what John says in 1 John. He says that you can know you have already experienced salvation. 1 John 3.14. He says, we know, we know that we have passed out of death into life. How? Because the work of Jesus Christ applied into your life and the Holy Spirit coming into your life. You can know that you have passed out of death and into life. You can know that. You can have an assurance of that. But not only that you have been saved, but that you presently stand right now just and righteous before God. 1 John 5.13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you can know that. So you can know that you have eternal life. But not only that you have been saved, you presently stand saved, but that you will one day be glorified into heaven, and He will continue you on and persevere you on. 1 John 3, verse 2. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. I, I, can I just say, I hope you can, you can say that for you personally today. And if not, I've got the best news in the world for you. If you, if you could just make that a personal statement to say, I know that when Christ appears, I shall be like Him. I know that when Christ appears, I shall be like him. Wow. If you don't know that, you can know that today. Jesus says it comes from looking. And you you might think, well, how in the world would that happen? How can I know that? I, I don't know that. I'm not sure. I hope, but I don't know. That's you. Jesus says that it comes from looking at the evidence of God in your own lifestyle. That's how you can know. Jesus says it, John records it in John 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So how do you know you're a disciple of Jesus? If you're bearing much fruit, the evidence of God in your lifestyle So this forces us to do some self-examining, doesn't it? A little bit of internal inventory. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Paul says very clearly, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. 
Those are heavy words. You see, the reality is, I hope you know this, the Spirit of God and sinful man is never uneventful. It's never uneventful when the holiness of God collides with the depravity of man. There's a chemical reaction, and you will see the reaction. There's always a reaction when holiness meets evil. You know the science experiment kids always love, where you take like a bottle of soda, throw some Mentos in, shut the cap real quick, shake it up, and you know what I'm talking about? There's a chemical reaction. When the one meets the other, you're going to know it. You can't not know it. Something happens. Something changes in the very makeup and chemistry of it. I think this is a beautiful analogy for when God enters our lives. And thus far, our lives have just been made up of depraved sinfulness. And then the holy, holiness of God comes into work. Naturally, you will see a reaction. I appreciate the way J.C. Ryle says about this. He says, without some evidence that our faith, I think we've got this, without some evidence that our faith in Christ was real and genuine, we shall only rise again on judgment day to be condemned. I think your natural thought to that, mine is, is, well, what evidence? What evidence can I provide to show that my faith was real and genuine? He continues on later on in his book, and he says, growth and holiness is the only certain evidence of the indwelling Holy Spirit which is essential for salvation. The Spirit never lies dormant and idle within the soul. He, is al- he always makes His presence known by the fruit He causes to be born in our hearts, character, and life. And so, I want you to think about this. I, I had to do a lot of thinking on this this week. There, there's two sides to this coin, and I think I, I wrote it out for you to really consider it and read. There's two sides to this coin. Having salvation is not based on the character of man, but on the character of God. Other side of the coin, though. Having assurance in your salvation is found in your sanctified character. Think about that. Praise God for that first statement. Having salvation is not based on the character of man, but on the character of God. Thank you, Jesus. Your salvation is not based on how good you do. Your salvation is not based on how righteous you are. It's based on the righteousness of Jesus. And yet, having assurance in your salvation, what confidence we can have is found in our sanctified character. All right. I'm going to wrap up with this. I want you to think on these things. I know everything that I just said might stir up different responses or emotions for you. Maybe you're excited. I hope you are. Saying, yeah, I see God working in my life. I see the evidence of God. I know it. And so I'm excited because I know I shall be like Him one day. I hope that's you. I'd say praise God. Assurance of salvation is meant to well up some kind of joy and thankfulness. But I also know there's likely many people in this room, or some in this room, 
who, after what I just said, might feel concerned or uncertain or scared, even scared. I'll give you a couple of encouragements about that, if that's you. And you're like, yeah, Isaac, that's, that's me. I don't know. I, I, I wish I was more sure. Here's my encouragement to you. There are many, many, many legitimate Christians who fret about their salvation because they haven't been cleaned up enough, quote-unquote cleaned up, and they still struggle with sin. There's many like you, myself included. But you might be forgetting a couple things. Firstly, none of us have arrived at being as holy as we should be. We're all in the same boat. So if you're worried about your salvation because you're just not there yet, none of us are. I'm not. I'm not. And you don't have to be to know that you know that you know that Jesus lives in your heart. You don't have to be there yet. I appreciate what Dr. Lawson, Steve Lawson says, it's not about the perfection of your life. It's about the direction of your life. Are you on the direction or the path of following God's word? Or do you not want to hear his word? I also say that your holy actions, or your lack thereof, aren't the only evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Because the Holy Spirit also brings conviction and concern about sin, too. And so, maybe you don't have everything cleaned up, but you sure are worried about and concerned about your sin. I say that is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Because He brings conviction. So if you're feeling that, praise God. I would say it's very likely God is working in your life. The man who shrugs it off and doesn't care, I would say we should be worried about that man. Okay. Let me pray for us as we conclude today. But I'd encourage you, reflect, before I do that, reflect on the salvation of those in your life and reflect on your personal salvation. If you're not saved today, I hope you know that so that you can fall at the feet of Jesus here in just a minute. So you can fall at the feet of Jesus. If you're not saved, I hope you know that. But if you are saved, I hope you know that so that you can worship God, find great comfort in Him today. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 